name is John McCombs. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at City Reform, and I want to welcome you. Uh, we have many visitors with us tonight, and I want to invite you to stay with us after the service for a time of uh, refreshments and fellowship, and we may even do Grill the Preacher tonight. We'll see how hot the temperature gets in here. I don't know if I can take the grilling after, uh, by the time the service is over, but if I can, we'll stay and we'll do it, so I'll invite you all to that time uh, as well. Uh, uh, tonight, we are going to uh, finish the book of Second Peter for the most part. Uh, I'm going to preach uh, the last few verses, but as I understand it, Jim still intends to uh, double back on some themes next week. So tonight, we'll be finishing the verses in Second Peter, but I think next week we're going to double back into some important themes uh, as uh, Jim uh, uh, preaches God's Word. Tonight, though, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. You'll find that uh, printed on page 6 of your bulletin. Our custom here is, uh, after the reading of God's Word, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, if you could respond with, thanks be to God. So hear now God's Word uh, from 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness? And godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, Lord, we do ask now that you would be not only with the reading of your word, but with the preaching. Father, speak to our hearts. You know the ways we need to hear from you tonight. Father, you have brought us here. Father, your word goes out and it does not return void. So let it accomplish the purpose for which you send it even now. Let your spirit be ruling and reigning in our hearts, convicting us of sin, leading us into all truth. Guiding us into your righteousness. Father, this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I usually like to start my sermons off with a show of hands, and uh, I'm a little concerned about this now because we have so many visitors, and I'm not sure how many people from Korea know who Bob Marley is. But could you raise your hand if you've ever gone through a Bob Marley phase? A Bob Marley phase, a famous reggae guy from Jamaica, 60s, 70s, 80s. Okay, there's some of you there with me, right? You've been through, Wadi's got both hands up, hallelujah. Uh, Yeah, some of us have been through a Bob Marley phase, and he he has lots of songs, and one of them in particular is called Waiting in Vain. 
And if you've been through a Bob Marley phase, then you know this song well. It's on probably his most famous album, and it's probably the second or the third track. And he's waiting in vain because he doesn't know if this woman he's chasing after is ever going to return this love. So it's kind of an unrequited love song. Here's how the lyrics go. I don't want to wait in vain for your love. He says that a few times. It's the melody, uh, the chorus rather. Uh, and then he'll say, from the very first time I rest my eyes on you, girl, my heart says follow through. But I know now that I'm way down on your line. He's not number one on the list. But the waiting feel is fine. So don't treat me like a puppet on a string because I know how to do my thing. Don't talk to me as if I'm dumb because I know when you're going to come. I don't want to wait in vain for your love. And he goes on and on. And there's a second verse, right? And he says in there, like I said, it's been three years since I'm knocking on your door. It's been waiting a while. And I still can knock some more. And then he goes on to some singing. Uh, I can't sing. I won't even try uh, he's asking, is it feasible? I want to know. Can I knock some more? Uh, he's talking about grief, and his grief, and her love is his relief. He goes on to say, as the song is closing, tears in my eyes burn, tears in my eyes burn, while I'm waiting, while I'm waiting for my turn. And he keeps singing the refrain, I don't want to wait in vain for your love. This was a man who was waiting in vain for the love of a woman and if you actually look at the, the real-life circumstances, it seems like he didn't wait forever, uh, but the song made it feel like he was going to wait forever, so he felt like he was waiting in vain. Our text today is very clear that we are waiting. We are waiting for Christ's return. We see it in verse 12. We see it in verse 13. We see it in verse 14. Does anyone here like to wait do you like to wait for things, especially in this 21st century where you can, I mean, we could all, if we wanted to, probably order groceries right now from our phones and have them at our house before we got back. <laughs> we don't wait for much anymore, and we don't like to wait all that much. Let me ask you another question. Can you do anything about this wait? See, Christ is coming back. And so at one level, we are not waiting in vain at all. Right? This man's waiting for this woman's love, which he doesn't know if it's ever going to come. He doesn't know if he's going to get his turn, but what we are waiting for is certain. In fact, according to Acts chapter 17, 31, the day has been fixed. Right? So one, we don't have to wait in vain. And that's part of what was going on in this letter. False teachers saying that Christ is not returning. Another thing that was going on in this letter is false teachers saying until he returns or if he returns or because he's not returning, it doesn't matter how you live. So there were many teachers teaching uh, things that are not in accord with scripture with regard to sensuality. And we've looked at some of those things as we pursued this letter. So what are we to do about this day of the Lord that we can't really speed up and that we have to wait for? We do have to wait, and we're not waiting in vain like Bob Marley was. So the question is not so much how do we speed up. The question is, how do we wait well? 
how do we wait well for this day that is coming, this day that has been fixed for the Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth to judge the world in righteousness? And I think from this text, the Lord would have us pursuing a few things. Right? So let's take a look at some of these things that as we wait, we are to be uh, pursuing. The first thing I think we see is from uh, chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 11 through 14. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, that is the new heavens and the new earth, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. We clear instructions about some of the most important things we should be pursuing in this letter while we're waiting. And the first thing we see is holiness and godliness. From verse 11 and 12, it's very clear that the heavens and the earth are going to be dissolved. And from verse 13, we see a new heavens and a new earth will replace that. Peter here is quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapters 65 and 66. Uh, which show up again in the book of Revelation. These are in your additional scriptures. Isaiah 65 and 66 say this, uh, 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mine. Isaiah 66, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring in your name remain. And then from Revelation 21, 1, Here's the vision of John. Uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. These things are realities. John has seen them. One day there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and it will be a place where righteousness dwells. Holiness dwells. Godliness dwells. And nothing else. Are any of you travelers? Do you fly a lot? I haven't flown much in the last... I don't know if I've flown in the last 10 years, but I used to fly a good amount. Back in the, in the younger days when I was in the military, I would fly from time to time from place to place. And for those of you who are uh, my age or older, you can remember flying probably if, you, if you've flown throughout your life before September 11th and after September 11th. A few things changed. Let me see how this sounds to you. So I want to take a trip. I'm going to go meet some friends, and there's some things we want to do. We want to, we want to go camping. Right? Uh, we want to light some bonfires. We want to have some fireworks. Right? We want to shoot some guns and ammo. I'm really not that big in any of those things. Uh, I like bonfires. I like cookouts. But, but I'm not too big in fireworks. I don't own a gun. But let's just say that's what I want to do. So I pack my bags, and here's what I'm going to take with me. Right? I'm going to pack a lighter. I'm going to pack some fireworks. I'm going to pack some guns and ammo. I'm going to take that to the airport. How's that going to work out? It's not going to work out. I can't take those things with me. And oftentimes I think in life we're, we're, we're concerned about taking things into the new heavens and the new earth that actually aren't going to be there. And sometimes we're less concerned about the things that actually are. 
And this is why we're called to pursue righteousness. Because what else are you going to take? You can take all the holiness and godliness and righteousness you want. But the other things will have to be checked at the door. They can't come with you there. So we're called to pursue holiness and godliness from verse 11. Righteousness from verse 13. Verse 14, we're called to be without spot and without blemish. Without spot and without blemish. Uh, John Calvin comments on this passage. I'll I'll read you two short quotes from him tonight. Uh, It said, it may be asked, how can anyone be found blameless by Christ when we all labor under so many deficiencies? You tell me to be found blameless, but wow, if you only knew me, that's a tall order. But Peter here only points out the mark at which the faithful ought to aim, though they cannot reach it until having put off their flesh, they become wholly united to Christ. These aren't things we can accomplish in this life. Salvation is not complete here, but they ought to be what we're aiming for. They're the bullseye. So we focus our attention there. Holiness, godliness, righteousness. We want to be found without spot and blemish. So how do we do that? Well, we submit our minds and our wills and our emotions to the Lord. Our minds and our wills and emotions to the Lord. We solicit others to help us do that when we know we're struggling in those areas, our minds, we try and think about, as Paul would say in Philippians chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Think about those things. Paul urges us. We're to submit our words, our tongues. Pastor Matt just preached through James not too long ago. Oh, and there's just so much to say in the book of James about our tongues. We're to give those over to God. We're to use words to build up and not to tear down. And we'll also submit our actions, our works. James will tell us too that faith without works is death. So we're to pursue righteousness in all these areas of life. We won't get there in this life. But that's no reason for that to not be the goal. You see, we're not waiting in vain. And we will one day accomplish those things. The additional scriptures also list Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21. Hear this promise. Your people shall all be righteous. That's where you're headed for, saints. The verse continues. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I might be glorified. And anytime you hear something from the book of Isaiah and it's in the 60s, guess what? It's talking about days we haven't seen yet. Promises that we can cling to. So oftentimes we see those echoed in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of See, we're written in there because of the righteousness of Christ. And not because our own has been imputed to us and we're walking that out by faith. And that's the goal. So we keep our eyes fixed on Him as we pursue 
righteousness and godliness that will be found without spot and blemish. Calvin had one more uh, little uh, quote that I thought was helpful here. Uh, He then who waits for new heavens must begin with renewal as to himself and diligently aspire after. If we're waiting for the heavens and the earth to be renewed, that process begins right now with us. So that's what we are to be pursuing. So we're, our goal is to be found without spot and blemish, but we're also to be found at peace. And I think that's another thing we are to be pursuing is peace. So we pursue holiness and godliness, but we also pursue peace. The very end of verse 14 adds that on. It's not a tack on, it's significant. Therefore, beloved, and, and actually in Four times in this third chapter, Peter uses the term beloved. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We're to pursue peace in our relationship with God. We're to pursue peace in our relationship with others. We're to pursue peace in our own hearts and in our own minds. And peace, of course, is more than just the absence of hostilities. It's human flourishing. It's shalom. Uh, in the Hebrew here, the, the Greek word would be uh, Irene. Do you know an Irene? It's a beautiful name, isn't it? It's peace. It comes from Greek. We're to be pursuing peace, human flourishing, not just in our relationship with God uh, and in our relationship with others, but on behalf of others. Until Christ's return, we are to be pursuing holiness and godliness in order to be pursuing this peace. But we're also to be pursuing one more thing, and that's salvation. We are to be pursuing salvation. In verse 15 and 16, we read this. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand as the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scripture. See, we are to be pursuing salvation. Counting the patience of the Lord as salvation. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but I suspect many of you were converted to Christ as adults. I suspect uh, if you remember that occasion, it's a very significant one in your life, and I suspect that you can remember the time and the times before that. I was privileged uh, the last few weeks, uh, we took some vacation, we went down to General Assembly, and I got to see uh, a good friend from college, his name was Mike. And Mike led me to Christ. There was a day before I knew Christ as Lord and Savior. And if the Lord had come then, then there would have been no salvation for me. All of our children don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. If the the Lord comes today and that doesn't change, that won't be salvation for them. But He's saving and so we, we, we count this as salvation. We count it for ourselves and we count it for others. And this is the motive 
for evangelizing. This is the motive to share the gospel. The Lord is sharing in order to bring about salvation for others. And He's given the message of the gospel to us that we can take it to them. That His church, that the body of Christ can carry this message. This message is coming to you tonight. Perhaps you've never confessed your sins. Perhaps you've never placed your trust in Christ alone for salvation. Perhaps, as it's stated in Romans chapter 10, you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that you might be saved. You know, at the end of that Bob Marley song, there's a couple lines, and it says this. Here he is again speaking to this woman. It's your love that I'm waiting on. It's my love that you're running from. He's waiting on this woman's love and she's running from you. Is that you tonight? Is the love of God being poured out to you? Is the Lord calling on you and you're running You might have been running from it for a long time. Today could be the day that salvation comes to you, that the Lord has delayed His coming, that you might know Him and the forgiveness of sins that can be found in Christ alone. So we're to pursue righteousness. We're to pursue peace. We're to pursue salvation. Working out our own salvation with fear and trembling and sharing this message with others that they too might come to have eternal life. Now it's very apparent from the text here that some were twisting Paul's messages. They were using difficulties uh, perhaps for their gain. The text doesn't say to not press into these things or ignore them. It just says they're hard to understand. It doesn't say they can't be understood. So God's word is to be pressed into for these very reasons. And there's a warning here that comes then in verses 17 and 18 for us to avoid false teaching and the lawlessness. It reads this way in verse 17. As people were perverting the scriptures, so people pervert the scriptures today to say things uh, that it does not say uh, for their own gain. There are even people who aren't intentionally perverting the scriptures. None of our teaching is perfect. Any man or woman of God who is faithfully declaring God's word to you in whatever setting it, it, it happens, no matter how faithful they are, they're not perfect. So God's word uh, needs to go out. Uh, But it comes with a warning. You therefore, beloved, we see it again, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. We're to avoid false teaching, in particular false teaching with regard to lawlessness, that we can live any way we want with regard to sensuality, in particular uh, from this book, but how are we to know what it is? And how are we to know that we're steering clear of it? How are we to know that we're being protected from it by God's grace? Well, the antidote comes, I think, in verse 18, and, and that's the main theme of this epistle. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is where Peter started his epistle. 
when he gives just the standard opening, right, he identifies himself, Simeon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. And he's going to hit on this again and again throughout the epistle, this idea of knowledge and growing in grace and how they're related, how they're inextricably linked. Uh, we, we see it in chapter 1, verse 3, uh, in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, in chapter 1, verse 8, in chapter 2, verse 20. It's only fitting to find it here again. See, protection from false teaching above all is found in the knowledge of the truth and what that truth is doing in you. God's word in you, the truth is efficacious. It's bringing about growth. It's bearing fruit. It is creating Christ-like graces in you. So protection from false teaching is found in knowledge of the truth and the grace that flows from it. Christ's graces in your life growing in you are the evidence that you're in Him and that you are bearing These are kind of the fuel for growing and pursuing holiness, godliness, righteousness, for pursuing peace, for pursuing salvation. This is the means. Are you growing daily in your relationship with God? Are you learning more about Him? And as you learn, is that transforming And that, above all, will protect you from false teaching. So we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, who is, and these titles are significant, the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. Very God Himself. Jesus always existed from the beginning. Always God, along with the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. So He's Lord. He is Savior. He is the one who has saved us from our sins, who took our place on that cross and lived the righteous life that we could not live. And He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God to bring God's people back to Him as we see even in Psalm 68, which Dave had used in our liturgy this morning. So we are to grow in this Christ in this Jesus, in our knowledge of Him, and let that knowledge bear fruit. And as it bears fruit, we're in particular to pursue, uh, or we're in particular to be pursuing after holiness and godliness, after peace, and after salvation. We're not waiting in vain. Christ is coming back. The question is not whether we wait, nor how long. No one knows that. The question is, how do we wait? What are we to do in the meantime? Verse 18b says this, To Him, that is Christ, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So what are we to do until He comes back? We are to glorify Christ by pursuing holiness, by pursuing peace, by pursuing salvation for others as we ourselves grow in the grace and knowledge of Let's pray.